Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. Kisugo Tami had just suffered what, from my perspective at least, is the worst loss a human being can endure. It's the kind of loss that often splits up marriages, the grief so searing, such a blight that even even the love between parents can't always hold up through the long chapters of grief. And in the story, she is, as I always picture her, a pathetic and sad figure the dead and limp child in her arms as she walks, crazed door to door for what we all know is impossible. The dead brought back to life. And who would have the heart to tell her that it's not possible because we can all imagine being so torn apart with despair. And then she is sent to the Buddha In some versions, he says he will bring this child back to life if she brings him those seeds, but at the very least, he promises her some help. And so he sends her out to learn what he knows before he sends her, to tell her what she'll learn going door to door. It would just sound callous, wouldn't it? To have her hear it, though, as we imagine she does at each doorway. One by one, the stories of grief and loss each of those household has endured, and why they cannot, though they wish they could, for more reasons than one, give her those seeds and the answer she wants. It must break her heart, household by household, Each encounter slowly must dash this hope that her child will be brought back to her, but so too does each encounter give her something to put in place of that hope. Call it solidarity. A whole world that holds the truth and pain and grief and heartbreak of loss with her. And so too is there this growing understanding that no one is spared. It's so common for all of us in moments of grief or hardship or pain of any kind to say, why me? Feeling overwhelmed by what we must hold, we wonder, why now? Why us? Why this? Why me? But the whole fabric of life, when we can see it, often takes us to where Kisogo Tommy does go empty-handed of an answer to that particular question, but an understanding that makes us ask a different one. Why not me?
Why would I be spared what no one is spared? My outside of church book club chose to read The Ghost Map this month. I don't know if you know it, but it's a nonfiction book by Stephen Johnson on the cholera epidemic in London in the 1850s. It's fascinating, it's incredibly well written, though not always, as you might imagine, well, a cheery or pleasant read. Cholera and the particular strain that hit London in the 1850s was brutal, often killing its victims in less than 24 hours. And the descriptions of the suffering and of the sewage-ridden homes and lives of the citizens of London, they're enough to make you want to get down on your knees and kiss the possibly COVID-ridden pavements of any part of the 2020 Bay Area streets and neighborhoods, and to hug the hospitals and clinics and urgent care facilities and bow down to the heroes of modern medicine. More to the point, the book's larger nod to the larger landscape of public health disasters, the scourges from previous eras, from bubonic plague to smallpox. It doesn't even get to Spanish flu and MERS and SARS and Ebola. Well, just that quick look makes you realize just how strong our public health infrastructure is and how well-informed, better informed our disease models are, but also the whole long history of disease that is part of human history. Bacteria and viruses, they have shown us they are incredibly determined to persist, as determined as human beings are. And some are willing and have been able to live symbiotically with us, but there are a fair number who are as brutal in how they execute their survival instinct as we human beings have been from time to time. Which is to say, if you and I were to go to each age in human history and ask for a house not ravaged by the reality or threat of disease, we would, like Kisa Gotami in our story, be forced to come back empty-handed and maybe like her to realize instead, why not us? That's not a comforting shift in perspective, I'll grant you, but maybe it's grounding. Grounding, perhaps, whenever we see the larger landscape of life, of history, and we put our own experience into that landscape and we see how it fits. Maybe we are scared, vulnerable, uncertain in whatever we face, just as Gotami was brokenhearted and grieving, but, but we're not alone. And realizing that, I think the question we ask changes a little. It's the one that human beings have had to ask and answer for all of human history, which is, how do I live in the midst of suffering and uncertainty? 
That, of course, is the biggest or one of the biggest questions that religions and philosophical traditions have been wrestling with and struggling to answer and give answers for and debated for millennia. And we will, no doubt, in the months ahead, engage some of the answers they've come up with. But I think we need a few handholds these days, not views up the mountain. So I wanted to look for simpler ways to approach the answers. How do we live in the midst of suffering and hardship? How do we find our way? Ron Heifetz, who's a professor at the Kennedy School at Harvard University, thinks that leaders, and I would say that all of us are actually, of course, the leaders and authors of our own lives, so it applies to all of us. He said we must get up off the dance floor, or maybe out of the pews, you might say, and up onto the balcony. We have to find ways, in other words, to step out of the daily business and the chaos and the constant motion of life where we live it, to glimpse occasionally from, from the God's eye view, the bird's eye view, the Reiko eye view of the world. And in doing so, of course, we often find we see things differently and can see our way through them. For instance, it can be really easy for us to see the impediments and risks and vulnerabilities we face in a day or in a chapter of our lives. And we should, because they're real. And denial isn't healthy. A relative of mine who, with a friend, started a chain of restaurants now has to see whether they can weather all the shutdowns or if the years of their work that have created this are going to disappear. Our godson, who came for spring break for a couple of weeks, he's told he'll do his entire spring term of his freshman year of college at our kitchen table. <laughs> People I love in New York are wondering how long they can last without having to leave the house. These are real impediments. But these and other people I know, and people and stories you know, and your own too, of scary circumstances, well, they all have, we all have also, stories of incredible resilience and personal strength in the face of adversity. And so I wonder, for instance, if we get up on the balcony, stepping our way there, aware of all the challenges we face, what would it mean to stand there looking down at the patterns of our lives, but look for hardship overcome? Look for astounding personal resilience? Like David's story, just that piece of it we heard. What would we remember in doing that that would give us confidence and courage? Remember, that's true about us. And more so, 
If we say all that, if we see all that, would we tell a different story about where we are right now and how we can get through it? Or think about how easy it is to see what's irritating or not going well or frustrating. I mean, being indoors all these cabin fever days or going and waiting on those ridiculous lines a hundred people long before the store even opens with all these folks anxious, ourselves included, about whether we'll get groceries and all of our plans on hold. I mean, will I ever be able to get a haircut? I cut my bangs this week, and heaven knows if we're on hold out too much longer, it could be dangerous. <laughs> and these are just superficial frustrations, some of them, and potential losses. But they're so easy to see, aren't they, and get caught up in. So what would it mean to go up to the balcony, taking all of those frustrations and thoughts with us in our lives, but look for what's going right right now, even now. I know lots of you are doing that because you've talked about it. And just this week, I put out to everyone, if they weren't already doing it, to try and start a daily gratitude practice. It's the perfect time. It's the thing my family does around our dining room table every evening. We say just one thing, one thing that we're grateful for, but you can't repeat yourself. You have to find something new every day. And so the effect is that it gets you treasure hunting for the good, the grace in life. And it's amazing what you find when you look for things that way. It's like you're building a new muscle, or, or it reminds me of how people who start to take up photography talk about the way it literally changes their perspective on the world they see. Where everywhere they go now, they're looking for works of art framed by their eyes in ways they never had before. It's the same with the gratitude lens, right? You start thinking things that you might not have before. I'm grateful for ventilators, for Zoom, that I'm allowed to go out of my house and walk, that fresh water comes in through a pipe even when everything else is shut down, that truck drivers drive and grocers stay open and farmers and farmhands till the land that makes sure I'm fed. I mean, from that vantage point, is the church empty now? Or are we just spread like the winds everywhere in some huge expanse? And like the resilience lens, if we look from the balcony looking for what's right, does that change the story we see and tell about where we are right now and how we can get through it? 
Finally, I owe this one to Dr. Ethan Cross of the University of Michigan, who suggested it in a podcast that I've been listening to this winter called The Happiness Lab that was started by a Yale professor. Dr. Cross, an expert in emotional regulation, suggests using time on the balcony as a time to, so follow me here, look ahead to the future, and standing there, look back on where we are. And then, he says, ask ourselves, what would it mean someday to tell the story about this chapter of our lives, about how we weathered this set of challenges? Or put another way, what is the story we would like to tell about how we lived through this time? We can feel incredibly powerless to be as uncertain as we are about what will happen, to be forced to stay at home, to watch things we have carefully built disappear. But what Dr. Cross reminds us is that we still have authorship in our lives, of our lives. I mean, people who've lived in Beautiful, easy, generous, fortunate times have lived in superficial and destructive ways, and others who have faced the most atrocious of circumstances have done so with courage and generosity and kindness, with optimism and resilience. You and I, we, we almost never get to choose the circumstances of our lives, never all of them. But we do get to write the story of the person by our name, the person who lived through these circumstances. And if we write it in advance, a draft of this story, and then have the ability to go back and go down from the balcony onto the dance floor with a plan for our steps and partners we know we want to spin around with for a time, well, we get to write the story or have a chance. How did Vanessa weather the COVID-19 epidemic? Did she grow wiser or more selfish? Did she, did she get more connected or did she shut down? Did she feel the thread of her suffering connecting to the thread of all struggle through time and across nations and people, and did it change her, or was she strangely unchanged by it all? What role did she play, and did it make a difference? What about you? Kisa Gotami, with her empty hands, empty of the seeds that she so desperately hoped to bring to this man who said that he could help her. Kisagotami still holding the body of the child in her arms, still with a broken heart. She returned to the Buddha. 
And nothing had changed but her perspective on suffering, on her suffering. And so it seemed everything had changed. Some say after this, she buried the child and took her vows and followed the Buddha, continuing her path to becoming an enlightened being, that that was the story she wrote. What will be yours? Perspective on life, gratitude, resilience, authorship, the view from the balcony and the the meaning we make of it. Bless the stories we write in these days. Amen. All I really was doing was waiting for you. Just like little girls and boys playing with their little toys. Seemed like all we really were doing was waiting for love. Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org.